I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. This episode caps off our series on Boston's exam schools, and today I'm thrilled to have Maggie Noel as my guest. Maggie graduated from Boston Latin School in 2016, and famously, along with her classmate, Kylie Webster Cazot, lit up the social media space in Boston and beyond when they posted their hashtag Black at BLS YouTube video in January 2016, in response to what they felt was a growing chasm among students at BLS. Maggie is currently a senior at Spelman College, and she's here today to talk with us about what it's like to be a student and a student of color at one of the top public schools in America. Welcome. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Um, as we did this series on exam schools, the inevitable conversation about pathways to exam schools has been discussed. Can you talk to us a little bit about your path to Boston Latin School? Tell us about where you grew up and where you went to elementary and middle school. Of course. So I grew up in uh, Robindale and West Roxbury. And I went to St. Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Avila uh, in West Roxbury off of Spanish Street, which is a Catholic, um, Catholic white high uh, middle elementary school. And um, like St. Teresa, what else is there? Holy name are almost what you would call what I consider feeders into the exam school. Okay. So I was fortunate enough to attend this school only because um, my mom, a single mother, she came to the United States in 1996 to continue her education. And uh, when she had me, the one thing she wanted to give me that her mother gave her was the best education possible. So when she was in Haiti, she went to Catholic school. So when she came to the United States, she said, okay, I'm going to try to find the best schools, the best Catholic school, whatever it may be, and send you there. And just, you do your best and hope for the best. So, um, Fortunate enough, I was at St. Teresa, and that is where I heard about BLS and the exam schools. A lot of the other students already knew about it. They um, were, you know, around sixth, seventh grade. They were applying to, you know, Mount Vernia, their Xavier, all these other schools. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is what we're supposed to do. So right. I take the exam, um, get in. <laughs> And that was kind of that. My mom actually didn't really want me to go. She, I, she was interested in um, Boston Trinity Academy. And I said, no, I want to go. This is like the thing. I think this is the thing. Everybody's going to the school. So let's go. And that was my entry into the exam school. But if it were not my, you know, just being at the right place at the right time, I definitely would not have even known what the exam schools were, what Boston Latin School, the Academy, ELA, or OE was. Um, so shout out to my mom. Ah, that's <laughs> and so sweet. You talk so about it as a feeder school. And so were they preparing you internally in the school to take the IC test and to, and I would imagine also they, they were thinking about your grades because grades and the combination mm -hmm. of grades and, and the IC test are what gained admittance yeah. to... Um, so, so those those things you you kind of felt like okay these things are fairly teed up and we're did, right right and where did you feel like your choices then were it, you named a couple of other Catholic high schools and then BLS your eye was sort of mm -hmm. on those as options for high school. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So I believe during that time uh, we were looking into I think Fair Academy. I know students were looking at Nobles, you know. Um, 
Um, but I was mostly looking like Boston Trinity Academy. And I think they are, those are the only two schools. Like I remember during that time, like going through, going to these schools, looking on the campus, getting interviewed and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Now that I think back, it was like a precursor to college. Okay. <laughs> but, right. um, yeah. So they also, you know, professors, um, well, my teachers, they, you know, mentioned exam schools. They prepared us for the ISCE. Like, you know, when we had classes, mm-hmm. you know, like for my math class, they would say, okay, this is specific. You know, this is going to be on the test. You know, I remember in fifth grade, you know, certain, G- they, they talked about GPA and um, the idea that you need to do well in order to go to a, a next step that, right. you know, the best next step. Yeah. Did, now, did you have friends who ended up not going to, BLS, but went to other public schools in the city. Um, honestly, you, no, not okay. that I can think of. Yeah, um, a few of my classmates from like sixth grade. Oh, yeah, I went to BLS with a probably fifteen, twenty of my own, you know, classmates that I had been with since what second, third grade. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so what percentage of the black population once you got to BLS was coming straight from your school? just me oh just you okay so so the other so you were so your catholic school had a Mm -hmm. mix of students and it did but not not that diverse it was probably about there's probably about like 300 students um in the whole school i think okay and at most like 35 students of color and like all the grades this is you know, oh, the early childhood program, okay. early childhood program to, we went to eighth grade. Okay. So yeah, my class, there was two, two or three black girls and they always got us confused. Oh. And <laughs> that was, that was the reality. Yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. And you experienced that reality when you moved over to BLS as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It just, it was just the next step, honestly. Yeah. So what was it when you got to Boston Latin school, what was the experience like and, and how did you find the school culture is a much bigger school for sure, but not right, probably right. as diverse as, as the school that you came from. Right. Um, it, it just felt like, um, I remember middle school magnified. I remember, uh, the first few days every day walking into school and like under the arch and I'm like, Whoa, these doors are big. Yeah. It's <laughs> the very doors dramatic. Are big, the Right, right. These stairs are big and it's like students is going up and down. And I was like, oh, my God, there's so much going on. I don't really see people who look like me, um, but I'm pretty sure this is where I'm supposed to be. So I just had to go with the flow. Right. And how how did you find the curriculum? Was it more rigorous than what you were coming from? Were you ready for it? I would say... It was it was definitely more rigorous, but they kind of they did ease us into it. Um, they did give I remember like you know our seventh grade basic classes. Um, they did give a time for everyone to reach you know understand the basics and have a similar foundation, no matter where they may have come from. Mm-hmm. So that was important. Um, but then uh, two three months into the semester, we're just <laughs> we're going in, we're doing these. Cornell notes. I hated Cornell notes. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing Cornell notes. We're doing these annotations. We're starting, you know, already kind of doing research proposals and um, just just 
in it, you know, right. they just throw you in it. It's, it really can be. Um, and I think that it still is a little bit of a, you know, sink or swim culture and you have to find your support and find your tribe. It's so, where, important. so talk a little bit about that. Where did you find your support and where did you find your tribe? Uh, definitely uh, gospel choir. That was one of the first things I had joined. I was really, you know, involved. Well, that's how I know Joey. We were in gospel choir together. Right. Um, Joey, Joey's the producer of our podcast and, and now <laughs> and graduated the same year as you or the year after you? Year after me. You yeah, after, okay. I believe. Or two, he's, mm-hmm. he's wait. He's graduated two years after he's you. It appears. <laughs> I know you're just so mature. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so but gospel choir is where you found your um, right. your people. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And Miss um, George, who you know, I was, I just kind of naturally gravitated to all the women of color in uh, the building. There aren't many. Um, that's another thing DLS has been working on improving, just like the faculty of color um, in racial issues student, students. So Ms. George um, is still a really close, you know, mentor and friend of mine to this day. Uh, she was my gospel, gospel choir director. I would always sit in her office, you know, in her classroom during lunchtime, just, you know, just talk and just annoy her and play Aww. on the keyboard and always find some excuse to just be in her presence and, um, you know, every year I was fortunate enough just to have one um, teacher of color who was able to create a safe haven for me um, and just let me be me. Right. Um, that was that was important. That was crucial to my survival at BLS. Yeah, because okay, so so and let me just set the stage for listeners. So when you were at Latin, about nine percent of the student body was. Uh, students of color, actually students who are either of um, black or Latinx. And Mm -hmm. um, today there's about seven and a half percent. So it's actually decreased since you were there. And tell me about your need for a safe haven. And why do, do you think every kid there needed a safe haven in different ways? Or did you really feel like you needed to carve out something that, that, you know, felt protective and, and secure? That's a good question. I think every student um, discovers their niche um, and their and creates their own safe haven and community, but it's not always as intentional. Mm. For me, as a student of color, I you know I needed that. It was definitely intentional. It was something I was seeking, and um, I knew others were seeking as well. Mm. So when we uh, when we kind of for me and my friends when I took over black at BLS and um, the club BLS black which stands for black leaders aspiring for change and knowledge it really was a gathering spot for just me and my friends um, and some other students and their friends just to just be in Miss Pinchin's classroom and to sit and talk and to just decompress the issues that were going on in our day-to-day lives the issues that were going on in our community and our society and and were those issues, were the, when in those discussions specifically, were you and your peers uh, talking about the difference in the ratio of white and Asian students to students of color? Or what, were, you, what, were you talking about specific events that were happening? What, what, was, um, and what, was, the, what was the point of discussion as, as you were kind of guiding people through those conversations? Anything and everything. Yeah. So um, we... Each month, we had a topic of the month. 
Okay. So um, at the end of last year, I would sit with Ms. Fitchum and Rose um, Mateo now, she's here now, Rose Mateo, um, and, you know, plan out what this next year is going to be. So we discussed whitewashing. We discussed race versus ethnicity. Um, we would, you know, I, one of my favorite books was, or it still is, Warriors Don't Cry by Melba Patia Beale. So I was like, can we, like, have a book? club and yeah. do something around this book we would you know do something for kwanzaa we would do something for juneteenth we wanted to create a space for ourselves to celebrate our black lives and to celebrate our black culture because we knew that once we stepped back into the halls and you know just overall bls it wasn't necessarily recognized and it was very easily to just disappear into the into the masses so right. we kind of came together to you know to unify ourselves and to remind ourselves of our power and how beautiful we were and how even though the odds may be against us we are still set up for success yeah and tell me about it's interesting what you talk about when you're when you flow back into the halls that you were sort of kind of just part of something that wasn't specific as specific to your identity. Did you feel, was there some sort of vibration that you felt like you had to match kind of generally in school that was different than who you felt you were, where you were vibrating when you were with this, with this group specifically focused on topics that were, were important to you? Mm-hmm. Definitely felt that we had to, or I had to be on my toes all the time. You know, I had to be on, tip-top shape. I had to have everything right. I had to be the best example of what it meant to be um, a young girl of color trying to figure everything out. Mm. And it was it was a burden, you know, just trying to, I guess some identify as like, you know, the token black girl, what it may, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, we would discuss the fact that in our AP classes, there's never any students of color in AP classes or how teachers would would dissuade students um, from being in these AP classes. And um, what do you mean? Even when you were by that? Oh, what? well, because usually like with advanced math um, and certain AP classes that you're able to choose, you know, as you, as you, when you're in high school, like 10th, 11th grade. Mm, yeah. Um, some, you know, some teachers will say, no, you're not prepared. Like this is going to be too difficult for you. I don't think you can handle this. Mm. And, that would that would be told to students of color, and there 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 was a, there's always a discrepancy between um, you know students of color in AP classes and advanced classes and those who are not. So did you did you feel like there was a different set of expectations for students of color? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. From the way we presented ourselves, from the way we dressed, from um, the way we behaved, they were all surveilled and noticed differently we were always i know i mean i was always this is but this is my whole life so i don't know right. just bls but i was right i right. was always the one called out in the hallway you know for being too loud or just um just talking too much that was always me um i was always the one getting in trouble because my voice carried um it's good so, for gospel singing that, though <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no but I hear you it definitely helped me in my role mm-hmm. definitely helped me in my role as president of gospel choir so you know it, it all works out but that was always my experience and I know some of my friends um they would we would discuss how you know like just the way our bodies were shaped and developed you know one girl you know 
a white girl would wear the same, they could wear the same skirt, but, you know, get it from the same store, same exact skirt or dress, but one person gets a violation and the other doesn't, Hmm. you know? So it was always these little microaggressions, these little subtleties of, um, you know, behaviors that presented prejudice and stigma that we dealt with every day. And we never realized how much it affects us, affected us because it, we were surrounded by it. You know, we were just, you know, this is, this is how it is. So I guess we're just, this is what we're supposed to do. You know, this is how we're, this is how life is. So it took, um, it took us creating this safe haven and to understand that this isn't necessarily the way things are supposed to be. Right. Now, um, by your senior year, you you were obviously a leader um, in your community, and you were, it sounds like you were hoping to see some real positive change at BLS. Things were starting to percolate to a degree that must have, I'm so curious if you could take me through kind of those, how, how you thought through with Kylie um, posting the, making the YouTube video and posting it and um, mm-hmm. kind of instigating the hashtag black at BLS um, momentum. Cause obviously once you, once you posted it, it caught fire. So there was certainly fuel <laughs> that was right, waiting right, to be lit. Right. So you talked to me a little bit about what was happening. Is that at, when you posted it in January, is that right? 2016. So halfway mm-hmm. through your senior year. So, so what was going on um, where you guys finally said, you know what, we need to get organized around this and let's instigate. Cause I, I thought it was a brilliant instigation and it was very actually positive um, way to, to instigate some big conversations that you certainly did. So can you tell us a little bit about how, how you both thought about this? Definitely. So we had been a big part of, you know, black club meetings is coming together and discussing um, and learning new ideas, how to better ourselves and our community, um, discussing what it means to be black, discussing issues that affect, affect black communities. So we, as um, kind of our response to what was going on in the larger community, you know, with Tamir Rice and um, Mike Brown and the non-indictment of Darren Wilson and uh, Freddie Gray and all these things, we said, okay, we need to have a much larger town hall meeting. So, um, and invite different clubs, you know, have it in a bigger room, the CVAC room, and, you know, let's, let's see what can come of it. So this was probably in November. This is a few months before we actually did the video. Okay. Um, November, November, December. And we had some uh, folks, you know, some members of the Black Law Student Organization at Harvard also come and speak because they were involved in some activism. And he was like, okay, you know, just come and speak to us because we don't really know what we're doing, but we like what you're doing and we need some help and we just, help, you know, just be part of our discussion. And um, at this meeting, we had everyone fill out a form, um, you know, like, what's your experience, um, things that you may have experienced, you know, what do you, what do do you, give us the suggestions for next steps, like, what do you think we can do? And at this meeting, I remember (laughs) probably about, you know, 50 students in this room huddled up, and we're like, okay, we need to have dining. We need to do a walkout. We need to do this. We need to do that. And like, we're just all coming up with these ideas. And we're like, okay, all right. We clearly we have to do some direct action. That's the next step. 
So um, we just, you know, we held on to the, these ideas, you know, sorted through all these papers. We were in communication, conversation with um, administration at the time, trying to figure out what their response was going to be and how we could help their response. Like, and had you already the workshop? Right. Had you already presented to them? Because you talk about in the video ha- um, presenting kind of a book full of examples of mm-hmm. different hostilities and, and a negative environment at the school. Was that a part of the meetings with the administration? So that meeting was a year before. Oh, that okay. was my junior year so high was... school when we presented when we presented the binder um, filled with the tweets and um, just different situations. And the town hall was kind of a response Mm-hmm. To the fact that we never had a response to that mm-hmm. necessarily. Okay. So we said, okay, how are we going to make sure that there is a response and that we are heard and that our voices are included and represented in um, in these conversations? So, you know, it was kind of a preparation for um, further meetings with administration and other faculty. So, and that's, you know, we had our ideas. We came together. We went through everything. And then it was winter break and... um we came back and we're, you know, we're struggling trying to plan the MLK assembly and we're trying to, you know, push it so it can be more, so it could possibly be, um, me, so it could be, um, be a required assembly or, mm. you know, more teachers sign up or it can be more than just one period. And it's not just a music thing, but it's something that, you know, involves students and that is led by students and led by, you know, the club. And there was some push pack some pushback, you know, from the speakers we wanted, from who we wanted to include in it. And um, ultimately, that frustration continued even until after this um, ceremony, the um, assembly. So that's when we decided to finally sit down and do something. We said, you know what? We were discussing everything that had transpired again after the assembly. We said, you know what? Let's just do it. So we did it. We called a few people, um, said we're going to meet in the center room. We're going to record the video. Um, not everyone was able to stay. So at the end of the day, it was just, it was me and Kylie. So we sat down. Um, we wrote out a little script on, you know, the back of some piece of scrap paper. And we just popped the phone up and we just shot it. <laughs> so, okay. And we said, okay. You shot it. Yeah. And then, and then you, you then you, then you pulled up YouTube and you posted it. And what, what, what were you thinking as you kind of submitted it and, and knew that it was then out there? Honestly, no idea. Yeah. I was scared because, you know, it's like this is kind of a representation of me and the club and what I'm doing. And I hope that it's perceived the way we want it to be. Right. But we, um, a big part of Black was engaging, you know, with our community but also BLS black alumni community so we would have guest speakers as often at least once a month as often as we could Mm. um have alumni come in and sometimes they would speak to experiences that um mirrored what we were still facing and you know they graduated years before us and you know I mentioned Miss George she was um I think she graduated she was one of the last classes who was uh, part of the quota and hearing her experience too, you know, I'm like, okay, wow, you gotta come come and speak to black, you right. know, tell us what what's what's the truth, like what's what's really going on, right? And um, it that was honestly when we dropped it, I was like, okay, 
we'll maybe email it out to a few of the alumni who come who have come in and speak. They can share it. You know, we'll just post it and then we'll post it on YouTube so it'll be easier to share on other platforms. So we can have it on Twitter and then Facebook and then just just see where it goes. Thinking okay. it's just gonna be family or friends. So then of course um, it blew up. You, it so it blew up amongst the, the population. So at BLS, kind of then amongst other schools, then you were presenting to school committee. The New York Times wrote about it. NPR mm-hmm. published on it. Uh, CBS did a piece on it. So, oh, <laughs> so well, this is why I think it was so brilliant, though, because it was so subtle what what you did and it was very respectful mm-hmm. and um and which I think is part of why it went viral because mm-hmm. you, you were simply stating what was true and mm-hmm. creating an environment for people to follow on and express how they how they were feeling as well did, did it um did what happened through the course of all of those experiences was it what you wanted to happen and did you see the results that you were hoping to see Looking back um, from this point of view, yes, yes, I can, you know, one of the, one of my biggest, one of the things that makes me so happy as a result of everything that um, transpired is the fact that students at BLS now have an African-American studies course. Mm. Um, like, anytime I talk about it, I'm like, yeah, Miss Pitchin is teaching this class. They actually came to visit me in Atlanta. Um, they had an HBCU tour. Like, they came to Spelman and Morehouse, and I yeah. got to see them again. And, like, that is my biggest pride and joy because I remember, um, like I said, we brought this, um, we had brought this to their attention, this binder, you know, 20, 2014. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my junior year of high school. And later that year, they have through the school um, a mini grant program. So I wrote a mini grant to, um, you know, I, my proposal was, you know, to support the club, but to have an African American studies course okay. to, um, you know, to have more text incorporated into our curriculum. You know, this course that is dedicated to studying what, you know, a group of people who have influenced and who have influenced every aspect of our society, who mm. have built, literally built our, our, our universe. And, um, it was there was always there was pushback. It was denied. There's not enough funding. We wouldn't have a teacher. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Right, right. But after everything that happened, I'm just so happy to see that there is this course now, and students can take it. And the last time I went back to DLS, um, they were in the process of doing, you know, um, course selection for the next the next term. And I see this big poster advertising the class. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's it. Well, that's that's so it, great. right? There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that that is that is wonderful. Do you think that it um, influenced other exam schools as well in the city, or other schools generally in the city, to make changes or enhancements to the curriculum, or otherwise? I don't know per se if there's been any changes um, in you know other schools' curriculum, but I will say you know our video and our conversations on Twitter and just reaching out to. Um, you know, the exam community is, you know, it's a small community. Kind of everybody right. knows somebody, somebody's brother, sister, you know. And, you know, another proud moment was when it changed from just black at BLS to black at BPS. And when everybody <laughs> said, okay, let's do blackout. We're all going to wear black in order to support them. And, you know, I'll go back and look at some of these pictures of 
all these students was just dressed in all black and we went right in front of the alma mater statue and took a bunch of pictures and knowing that other schools and other students were intentional about standing in solidarity with us and wanted to continue these conversations and support us was a a huge part, you know, that made it all worth it. Right. And do you, do you think now, now that you've left and you're at Spelman, you've been at Spelman for, um, you're, you're headed, you're in your, you're in the middle of your Mm -hmm. senior year. Is that right? Yeah. So when you, when you talk to folks back at BLS, um, or you, or you visit it, do you, um, do you think that the environment, the climate there has improved significantly? Do you think there are still opportunities for improvement? What kind of, what's your, what's your experience been? I definitely believe there's been some change, mm-hmm. um, some growth, but there is of course still always opportunity and room for improvement. I think the biggest Another um, amazing thing as a result is the fact that we have the first woman of color headmaster, you know, um, headmaster Scarrett at BLS. And I, you know, I follow her on Instagram and I just love seeing all her updates on all the students and how involved she is with the community. And um, it's amazing. And, you know, with the students, like they know her face, they see her there. You know, I'll go back and talk to some of the students in black. They'll be like, oh, yeah, he just goes into her office and just waits to speak with her. I'm like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> that's how it should be. <laughs> right, that's, that's how right. It should be. And I, mm-hmm, like open lines of communication, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. So, and I know there have been, um, they, the teachers has started, you know, courageous conversations curriculum. They were looking at the books, and they had, um, I guess, consultant coming in and instruct them on it, and um, you know, faculty and parents and teachers coming together to discuss those have you know that's a big shift and now I know the conversations have slightly steered they don't really include as much student voice Mm. in um, the conversations but you know there's always opportunity for growth so the fact that they um they started that and they have is is important so when the time is right, maybe I'll go back and help yeah. them, you know, keep those conversations going. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that that would be amazing. Um, do yeah. you, I want to ask you one question. I want to ask you about your future, but I want to ask you one other question about um, admissions. Uh, there's a lot of conversation right now about admissions into BLS and how, um, mm-hmm. how do, how do they create a more diverse um, student population with an admission set of admissions policies that are, are fair for all. Uh, do you, do you have any point of view on that in terms of um, how that might happen? Does it need to happen way back downstream in, in, in terms of offering students of color across the city, a very equitable platform for development? Mm-hmm. Does it, do you think changing the test and making it align now for you, it wouldn't have really worked because you're taking the IC in a private school, which is all right, the private schools right. across the city. In in the city they're taking the state test, the MCAS. And mm-hmm. so and so students are being prepped for that, but not for the IC. Um, right. But I don't know, have you run into conversations about how do we diversify the student population and what do you think would make a difference? Absolutely. And that is one of 
I guess that's the biggest conundrum they've been trying to tackle. First of all, you know, who has access to these tests? Who knows about these tests? Um, who's able to get to these tests? Who's able to prepare for them? Um, those are all issues. And I know, um, I think the Lawyers Committee, um, the ACLU, NAACP, and Massachusetts Advocates for Children, after everything that um, went down, they put forth a report, the bro- a broken mirror exam school admissions. They failed to reflect Boston's diversity, and they went to different sections of cities, you know, just discussing the report, their findings, and having community meetings and hearing what people said. And I think, I think a good solution would be having more students, like having a, almost, honestly having a quota again, yeah. but having a quota for Boston public schools, because a lot of the, the students at BLS now come from private schools. And, you know, they come from schools that are basically feeders into exam schools or just other private schools. So they're coming from uh, an environment that prepares them to take this specific test that prepares them, you know, like that's telling them these are the next steps to go. And not all students have those type of advocates, those type of opportunities. And there needs to be, you know, we definitely need to, re, you know, reevaluate our public school system yeah. and how and if it's really preparing our students for not just you know BLS but just for you know college or for success or whatever their next steps may be so whether it's going back to third grade um and fourth grade you know where they have these tracking programs and some students are put into advance and some students are not right. and that's where you start to see the discrepancy where it's the students the, the white students are put into the advanced programs, are put into the gifted programs, but the students of color are left are left behind and they're not catered to in the same way. They're not given the same um, opportunities or treatment or care. There needs to be a reevaluation across the whole system. Yeah. So maybe um, maybe what we need is a quota on equity as opposed mm, to a quota yeah. on race, right? A quota on expectations, a quota on rigor. Um Mm-hmm. Or maybe the test just needs to be abolished. You mm-hmm. know, um, <laughs> yeah. standardized testing, we all know is a scam. Like, you know, as I'm thinking about next steps, um, you know, trying to thinking about preparing for the GRE or the LSAT or the GMAT and all these things. And it's like, yeah, I'm talking with recruiters and um, I work on campus in the Office of Career Planning and Development as a graduate relations assistant. And I have the chance to speak with recruiters and help out with fairs. And they're like, honestly, they don't really matter. Like, we look at them, but, like, they're not that important. Yeah. It's really just about funding or whatever it may right. be. And it's, and it's like, why would we have these tests if y'all are thinking about removing them? Let's just remove them. Let's, you know, look at what's really important into considering um, acceptance of different opportunities. Yeah. So. Yeah, I personally, I say remove remove all tests. <laughs> remove all tests and come up with some other way that feels more equitable to assess capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's right. a it's a big task, but maybe that's maybe that's Absolutely. what you're going to go out into the world and do. What are, can you tell us a little bit about? Um, now you're at Spelman. How well prepared were you to head into that school? What's it like to be in an all women school with women of color? Is, is big difference? Mm-hmm. How, how did how did that culturally feel for you? It was, it was definitely a culture shock. Um, just moving from the north to the south, it yes. was a culture shock. Yes. Um, yeah, but moving from DLS to an all-women's institution was another culture shock. I think, I think one of the biggest um, 
things for me was at BLS, my identity was so tied to being black and um, fighting just for my blackness to be acknowledged and represented and to be respected in this space. Mm. And then transitioning to Spelman, it's, it's a black space. You know, they they want you to love your blackness. They want you to love who you are and where you come from. And um, I'm a history major. I focus on Caribbean studies and my minor is African diaspora studies. And that's definitely reflective. You know, I chose that because of my time at BLS. And I also, you know, chose going to an HBCU because I said, I don't want to be defined like that again. I want to be defined for who I am and for I just, I just wanted to, you know, be in a space where I could redefine how I see myself. Right. And it was, it was tricky because I don't know. I've never been in a space where everyone is black. Like that was just, <laughs> that was like shocking yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like all my professors are black and I'm like, whoa, this is, this is amazing. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is why I came here. Yeah. Um, You're in like, the majority. Suddenly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like, it's, 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 it's a mind shift that you have to um, you have to learn to to um, recognize and appreciate and love and acknowledge. But mm. it's it's weird because even within you know blackness is not a monolith, and that's you know the core of here is the fact that yes, you know we all may cling to this, we all choose you know to identify as black, but we all have different lived experiences. Right. We all come from different places. We all have different goals. We all are from different economic classes, different social classes, different places in the world. But here we are in this one when this one place claiming blackness. Right. And that's the beauty of it. So but, but but you are all in this one place where where one thing that you always had to be cognizant of was no longer mm-hmm. something. And, and so then mm-hmm. did it open up the opportunity maybe to see to be more of, you know, kind of who you are as a soul and, and to, to really focus on the pieces of you that make you who you are and make your peers who they are. And that's, that's been the journey. That's been my journey the last few years is trying to uh, redefine my passion, um, rediscover my passion and what makes me happy and how figure out how I feel like, I can make a difference in this world. Like Spellman's tagline is a choice to change the world. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's everything. Like everything we do, we're supposed to go out. You know, we have to, we, it's important that we see the world. They push, you know, um, domestic exchange. They push international exchange. They push travel. You know, you need to go out and see the world in order to understand what it means to be black in this space, but what does it mean to be black in different spaces? What does it mean to be a woman in different spaces? And how do you represent, how do you choose to represent that? And what do you want to be associated with you? And just, just the journey, (laughs) just the journey of college and life and identity. And it's been, it's been beautiful. It has been a blessing. Um, But I'm still always so, I do reflect back on my BLS career. I, I'm still in contact with uh, some of my professors. Um, literally, I come back next week and I'm like, okay, so when am I going to see y'all? Um, can I teach a class? Uh, I want to present my research. Like, let me talk to the kids. Oh, that's great. Um, so and what, what I, you... you know, I... No, good. I wouldn't be here without them. Yeah. yeah. 
No, do you, um, so what do you think next for you? I, obviously you're going to go out and explore the world. Do you think you'll end up mm-hmm. in Boston eventually? Eventually. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> All in good time. That's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. Um, I do. I definitely wanted to take the time to step away from home to understand different communities and different spaces. Yeah. But, you know, Boston raised me. That's where my family is. So I want to go back and be able to affect um, my home community and, you know, be with my peers and people I love. So my goal is to work at the intersection of education, law and policy. So right mm-hmm. now, um, um, I'm trying to figure out the best next steps for me. Eventually, I want to go to law school. But I'm looking into possibly, you know, fellowships and research and different master's programs um, so I can take, you know, take a break, take some time off in between and then take that big step into law school. It's going to be it's going to be big. (laughs) I think you will be big. I think you've already been big. You are big and uh, and you will continue to be big, Maggie. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and to take us through your experiences at, at Boston Latin School and beyond. And um, wish you all the best and a, a very happy holiday, mm-hmm. too. Thank you so much. This is a wonderful conversation. I can't wait to hear it. And again, like, I really love the work that you're doing. So when I'm home, I'd be happy to support, promote, help you out in any way. I'd love to stay, stay connected. Definitely. Okay, good. I would love that, too. I'd love to meet you in person. So we'll, we'll have you in when you're when you're back here. Sounds like a plan. All right. You have a wonderful day. All right, Maggie. Thank thank you. you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining my conversation with Maggie Noel. I find Maggie's story incredibly inspiring, and I appreciate her respectful and deeply impactful efforts to make Boston Latin School and Boston a better place for her fellow students. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.